Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast that aims to tell the story about and from the body of Christ. And that's you and me. I'll do my very best to do that by sharing a story about people living as disciples of Jesus one week a month and brief lessons from the Bible each week throughout the rest of the month. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching Sunday school classes for teenagers on up to 90-somethings. My day job is working in communications ministry for the United Methodist Church in what is known as the Great Plains Conference, meaning the approximately 1,000 churches in the denomination in Kansas and Nebraska. My goal is to introduce concepts about Jesus Christ to people who either haven't read the Bible before, who have a difficult time understanding the Bible, or who just want a refresher. As the name of the podcast suggests, my message comes to you in layman's terms. I'm not ordained clergy, but I study the Bible regularly, and I'm excited to share stories and concepts with you about God's love for you and for all people. In this premiere episode, I want to tell you a story about brokenness and resurrection of an entire town. Back in March, the first of a series of devastating floods damaged hundreds of homes in Nebraska. In the spring, a massive tornado destroyed or damaged homes in several communities in northeast Kansas. And later this past summer, more floods ravaged parts of Kansas and Nebraska. The Great Plains Conference's Disaster Response Ministry has been working nonstop since around March 14th. So leaders in the conference were concerned about pastors serving in these disaster areas. Were they taking care of themselves? How can they protect their health under stressful circumstances? What have we learned from past disasters that can help them in the recovery effort? We planned a workshop slash retreat for those pastors, but only a small number signed up for whatever their reasons, and so we postponed the event. But we had to prepare for that retreat anyway, and part of the preparation was an interview with the Reverend Terry Mayhew. Our Director of Clergy Excellence, Reverend Nancy Lambert, and myself drove to Hutchinson, Kansas, where Terry graciously agreed to drive to meet us to talk about his experiences. And his experiences are unlike any other in our conference or anywhere else. You see, Terry received the call from his district superintendent late the evening of May 4, 2007, that he was being moved from Plains and Kismet United Methodist Churches to the town of Greensburg. Less than an hour after hanging up from that phone call, a tornado would nearly wipe Greensburg off the map. Or at least the twister would have killed the town, if not for the hope provided by faith in Jesus, the determination of residents, and people from both near and far working together to serve as Christ's hands and feet in a shattered community. I was actually on the phone with the district superintendent the night that the Greensburg tornado happened. Uh, he was telling me that I was going there, but we'd already negotiated a, a late move uh, for family reasons and got up the next morning and found out Greensburg was no longer there. And that's no exaggeration. What devastated the town that night was the first tornado to hit the EF5 rating on the then still new enhanced Fujita scale. Severe weather had been expected, with storm spotters stretched out across western and central Kansas as well as much of Oklahoma. Here's part of the tornado warning broadcast that night from KSN Television in Wichita. You'll first hear meteorologist Andrew Kozak, and then a voice familiar to many Kansas viewers, veteran meteorologist Dave Freeman. 
it looks like now a tornado emergency has been issued for Greensburg now. They are tracking that large, extremely dangerous tornado located about five miles just to the south of Greensburg. Dave, you are tracking that and showing us just now on there. That is moving north at about 20 miles per hour. So you really need to get in the center of your house or your storm shelters immediately. Again, this is an emergency situation for Greensburg issued by the National Weather Service in Dodge City. You know, those are words that our friends at the National Weather Service office in Dodge City do not use lightly and they don't use them very often and that really points to the gravity of this situation. The television screen is a mass of many colors with a large red blob moving closer and closer to Greensburg with each refreshment of the radar. Freeman is an icon in Kansas television news and he stays calm throughout this tornado coverage but you can see the concern grow in his face as he keeps coming back to this tornado amid other severe storms pounding the Midwest that night. He explains for viewers what they are seeing on the screen, and then he makes an ominous statement. Again, green colors are winds blowing toward the radar, red colors away, so now it would look like the circulation center has moved almost directly over Greensburg. It is right on top of Greensburg right now. I surely hope that we're wrong about this. But he wasn't wrong. By just before 10 p.m. that evening, the tornado had grown to 1.7 miles wide by official estimates. It stayed on the ground for just more than an hour, traveling almost 29 miles, and Greensburg was smack in the middle of its path. We climbed under the stairs and got in the closet and shut the door. That's Paige Tyree, a mother of four at home that night. Her son was staying that night at the home of her friend, the son of the then pastor at Greensburg United Methodist Church. Paige's husband was moving planes used in their agricultural business to another town. Um, and we weren't in there probably a couple of minutes and the wind picked up. We could hear the hail and the rain and then glass started breaking. Our ears were popping and um, all the proverbial tornado experiences. Um, and I just huddled everyone under me and kind of leaned over them and started praying the Lord's Prayer just as loud as I could. Gosh, I still get choked up to this day. Mainly just to loud to drown out the noise of the storm so that my kids, you know, they were pretty young at the time. I had a two-year-old, a five-year-old, and then a 12-year-old with me. And um, so just prayed really loudly until it passed. Across town, Mitzi Hesser, a public health nurse for Kiowa County, prepared for the storm to hit. When the whistles went off, we went and got a neighbor who we lived next door to us that didn't have a basement brought them over to our house, and then um, we rode out the tornado in our basement. We actually had a shelter. Um, the home that we lived in had a shelter there, a uh, bomb shelter that was built in the 60s. So we knew we were in you know, pretty good shape as far as that goes. But the, you know, the terrible pressure and the, you know, on your ears and, and in that room knowing that it looked like things were moving, you know, you could hear things moving above. We got out and I'm a public health nurse, so I immediately wanted to try to get to the main um, location and see what they needed help with. Um, so I spent then that night, uh, which was just basically in our back um, yard because we were right just a block away from Highway 54. And so about 45 minutes later, by the time we got our clothes on and shoes on and helped that family and stuff, 
we came out and got ourselves dug out of the basement and um, there was, I got to there to try and to find out where they needed me. So uh, they sent me to a place to take care of people that were coming in until we could get them in an ambulance or get them to a shelter. And it was at that, you know, I began to realize that people were coming from all over town and oh my gosh, you mean that, you know, the North part of town and the South part of town and is everybody's been hit, you know, and so. Indeed, almost everybody had been hit. Winds had been clocked at 205 miles per hour. In the end, we would find that 961 homes and businesses were destroyed, 216 homes and businesses with major damage, 307 homes and businesses with minor damage. And the human toll? Amid the darkness of that night, people anticipated the worst. Again, here's Bitsy Hesser. I remember one of the Pratt ambulance people came in to see what I needed or how things were going. And he said, we've sent for 250 body bags. And I thought, whoa, that seems pretty intense. Um, fortunately, we did not have that many. 11 people lost their lives that night, but it could have been much, much worse. Back across town, Paige Tyree was assessing the situation. With three children safe, she and her husband started searching for their son. The young man staying the night at a friend's house. It took them until 3 a.m. God works in mysterious ways, but um, my preacher and his wife and their son had gone to the east, well, the northeast corner of Greensburg. There were some houses that were still standing and had survived the storm. And so they had taken their son and our son there and um, they had taken them upstairs to a bedroom and our kids were asleep. When we got there, Trevor was sound asleep. He was um, 10 years old at the time and he and his buddy were, actually I think there were three of them, they were all kind of crammed into a twin bed in this upstairs bedroom in a house and just sleeping away. And it was a very peaceful sight. And um, in, amongst all of the, the mess outside, that peaceful vision of him just sleeping will probably stay with me forever. <laughs> <laughs> As the sun came up on May 5th, 2007, the people of Greensburg had to assess what to do next. The tornado took out about 95% of the town that night. Uh, infrastructure such as the, the, they had their own power plant was gone. Water tower was gone. Uh, it was it was devastating to the community. The community was uh, in shock, 100% in shock. After a tornado when everything's leveled and people are just standing there, it's like, now what? That's Reverend Holly Tapley, the Great Plains Conference Disaster Response Coordinator. She may be one of the hardest working and compassionate people I've ever worked with. Traits that serve her well as a person who rushes into disaster areas to share God's love with people under extreme stress. Uh, and it's the same with flooding uh, or other disasters that, that hit your home. It's, it's that feeling of, I don't know what to do. And I don't know where to start to know what to do. So adrenaline's going, they're in shock, there's fear. Um, and then there's this, this unbelief that I've just lost everything. And I don't know where my next step's going to be. 
Reverend Terry Mayhew had to figure out those steps for the people of Greensburg. He was not coming to serve as the pastor there until September 1st of that year, almost another four months. But he started helping with the recovery effort fairly soon after the initial response from religious groups, state agencies, and FEMA. My wife and I went over there June 1st or 2nd, first time we'd been into town, and it looked worse than I anticipated. It looked... I've never seen a war zone in person, but it looked worse than a war zone, I thought. Just piles and piles and piles of trees and homes and debris. They had pretty much pushed the debris off of the sides of the road, off the highway. Uh, the streets were passable, but everything that I remembered about the community was, was not there. The motel that used to sit there was just in piles. The uh, John Deere dealer was still had busted up combines and tractors sitting out there. It was uh, it was total debris uh, scattered everywhere, piled up. Mayu told me he traveled back and forth the 85 miles one way from his then appointment at Plains and Kismet in far western Kansas to Greensburg to help with the cleanup effort. It was a task he was very familiar with because he had volunteered as an early response team member after floods, hail, and yes, tornadoes. But nothing measured up to what he was about to cope with in Greensburg, Kansas. Besides the manual labor, he had a faith community to get to know, counsel, and start to move forward by facing their collective new reality. Some of that reality was dealing with how people wanted to help in the aftermath of the tornado. Some of the challenges were people want to help. And people think giving you things is helping. But when you don't have any place to put things, it's not helping. Another uh, Catholic woman who was kind of head of their parish and I, we talked about writing a book, and it was just three chapters. Send money, send money, send money. Because people wanted to send us blankets. They wanted to send us... We had probably six organs offered to us. We had, you know, all kinds of things that... No place to put anything. And, and people could not fathom. Well, you could put it... No, there is no storage units. They're gone. <laughs> You know. Meanwhile, these shell-shocked people were trying to rebuild their lives. They sorted through rubble trying to find anything, anything at all that they could salvage while they started to rebuild. Here's the public health nurse, Mitzi Hesser. When you don't have anything left and you don't have not only your stuff, but you don't have any community, you don't recognize your neighborhood, you don't recognize the people that are around there to help you, um, and yet you still wanted to save something that belonged to you. You still wanted something. And um, I always said, you know, things are not important to me. Um, and yet you were surprised how one little figurine that you found, you know, all of a sudden it seemed to have a value that, you know, you never had before. My experience is a little bit different than most in, in the rebuilding phase because my husband in our ag business, he knew a lot of farmers. This is Paige Tyree again. 
She says she and her family lucked out more than others. They were able to find a place to live quickly, which allowed her to help with the rebuilding of the Greensburg United Methodist Church. And um, he knew a farmer who had just um, retired, and so his farm manager had vacated the farmhouse that he had been living in. So my husband picked up the phone and said, I, you've probably already, you know, had a dozen calls, but is your house available? And the farmer was like, absolutely, you know, you're more than welcome to, to move in. So we moved into a farmhouse, and actually, Todd, we still live here. We are we've been renting this house for 12 years. We started um, last June building our home finally back in Greensburg. The congregation of Greensburg United Methodist Church started meeting in a tent and then started worshiping in a double-wide trailer that it shared with a daycare during the week. That first year was uh, just trying to find stability, uh, knowing that their people were there. One of the things I noticed when we first started having worship services in this double-wide trailer, when people came to worship that morning, it was, oh, I haven't seen you for a week. And, you know, there was hugs and there was, uh, they were just glad to see each other. Where are you living at? Because some people didn't know where people were living. They were living, I had people living in five different communities uh, that I was trying to connect with and meet and other clergy talked about they'd go to Walmart and they'd see their people and I said I really wish I knew my people when I go to Walmart because I don't know who they are. May you eventually got to know the people of Greensburg United Methodist Church and the community. Now, up to this point, the interview had been in the context of that retreat for pastors serving in disaster areas. But I kind of get caught up in the moment and start asking questions about things that had less to do with self-care and challenges he faced and more to do with his recollections of that time in his life. I ask what sermons he presented to this new, largely homeless congregation. I think my first one, I introduced myself pretty much and, and told a little bit about myself. And we had communion, which they hadn't had. And... But then I, I did about a six-week series on Nehemiah and rebuilding the wall and talking about rebuilding our, our, our body, of, body of Christ and, and the church and the community. The, and that this, you know, Nehemiah did it in 40 days, but we're going to take a little bit longer, but we're going to do it. <laughs> the story from Nehemiah provided hope and a vision of a time of recovery but the devastation that surrounded the people of Greensburg loomed over everyone and everything for quite some time. There was only 11 or 12 deaths that night, but I did 15 funerals the first year I was there, and I would say they were all tornado-related. They, they were old elderly people who were removed from their homes. They, they, they couldn't recover from the shock, from the impact, and so it, it was very devastating. Mayu told me something kind of interesting. He said he was really kind of an outsider for a while, and it makes sense when you think about it. He came in after the storm. He wasn't directly impacted by the tornado, and he had not lost anything or anyone. He quickly learned one way to gain acceptance, while also helping people heal from their grief. And that was simply to get them to talk about what they experienced the night of May 4th, 2007. It's an experience, he explained, that few people can understand. Just say, tell me about that night. That's all you had to say, and if you said it, they would tell you. 
And that's the best way for them to deal with the grief. I, I likened this grief. I've dealt with several families who have lost children. Nobody knows what those people are going through because they've never lost a child. Nobody outside of Greensburg knew what those people were going through because they never had a community destroyed like that. People who moved away from Greensburg moved to Kansas City because that's where their kids were at and their kids said, you're coming up here. They never could get over it because nobody knew, nobody would listen to their story because they didn't know what to do with it. The people that went through this experience created a real bond. Uh, and it's just like anything else, after a while the bond starts coming apart, but they, they created a real bond and developed uh, some relationships that hadn't been there. But it was, uh, it didn't make any difference if it was the old guy down the street that you didn't like. You saw him and he was okay, you'd give him a hug. I mean, there was more hugs given uh, in that community after the tornado than there'd ever been. I mean, people just were thankful to find people and see people and live with, you know, be around people. So there was a real bond that, that came together. My first career was as a journalist, an industry I worked in for 20 years. In 2001, I had the opportunity to interview 12 Pearl Harbor survivors at once. Sitting in a large circle, the men all told me their stories. They all had settled in the town of St. George, Utah, when I interviewed them for a story I was doing on the 60th anniversary of the attack that drew the United States into World War II. One of the things they told me was how close they had become despite not knowing each other very well prior to moving to extreme southwestern Utah for retirement. The reason was their shared experience of the attack on December 7, 1941. I've since read about studies that talked about how stress of a disaster forges tighter relationships. You can still find one online at scientificamerican.com, published in 2012. That seems to be the case with the people of Greensburg. As they started to rebuild, they kept on worshiping in that double-wide trailer shared with the daycare. Here's Paige Tyree again. When we were in the double-wide, um, it was a shared space with the daycare. And so Pastor Terry and Mary had opened their parsonage doors, the house that they were living in at the time. And so all of the church business took place at their house. We had um, the telephone number even, the church telephone number had been connected at their house. and copy machines and printers that we no longer had had been purchased and placed at their house. So um, the, the only thing that we really did in that double wide was just our worship together on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. All of the meetings took place at the parsonage. Terry and Mary's house really just had a revolving door because there were people in there in and out, in and out, in and out all of the time. I asked Mayu what he had learned throughout the experience. We know we didn't do it right completely, but at the time we felt like we were doing what God wanted us to do. And one of the things that maybe people don't think about is, you know, how do you, how do you rebuild after something like that? Uh, the conference had good resource in conducting a capital stewardship campaign because we were like, 
what do we do? We got insurance money to do this first part. They wanted a sanctuary. And uh, I found out about the resources with the foundation and doing that. And uh, the community, the church came together. Uh, all of them building houses, all of them trying to restore their businesses. We did a capital stewardship campaign and we did everything in that church and a parsonage debt free. 100% paid for up front. And uh, that's, that's where I saw God working as well in that community, in that church. Uh, it meant so much to them to have that back. One of the big milestones of renewal was the church moving into what eventually would be the fellowship hall, offices, and classroom spaces. But that space also served as the sanctuary when it opened 17 months after the tornado leveled the church. We moved into the fellowship hall, classrooms, offices of our new building in October of 2008. That was just about a year after we broke ground. We did that shortly after I moved there in September, and we moved into the building and worshiped in it the first time in October 2008. That was really a, a, a turning point for people to have that. Uh, we started having our Wednesday night programs. We started having vacation Bible school and bringing things together in that way. One of the things that Terry said from the get-go was is that this church will be built back to be used by the community, not just our congregation, but for the community. That's Mitzi Hesser again, the public health nurse, who also was the organist at Greensburg United Methodist Church. She said the opening of the fellowship hall was important, not just for the church, but for the public health workers and many other groups who are trying to get Greensburg back on its feet. We used it for every meeting that came along practically because we knew Methodist Church would let us come up there and they wouldn't charge us anything. And I don't know how many meetings we had in the church after that and, and the thousands of volunteers that we housed and the senior center even had their meal site there for, you know, some time. And so with Terry's vision of that it was going to be built back for our community, um, gave our church um, maybe just a little different sense than some of the other churches. Mayu said the church used 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 as a sort of theme throughout the rebuilding process. That scripture says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So far, this has been a story about a broken people, it's been a story about coping with grief over shattered lives. But as we've heard, the people rebuilt. And eventually, just like our faith teaches, the story of the people of Greensburg leads to a resurrection. We fast forward to April 4th, 2010. We moved into the sanctuary on Easter Sunday in 2010. And we, and we began worship in the fellowship hall. And no... Very few people had seen the sanctuary. We'd kind of kept it closed off as we was finishing it up. And when we carried the cross and the candles and stuff into that sanctuary, it just, it was mind boggling. There, there were tears, there was rejoicing, there was, uh, you know. The emotion of 
coming back together. That's Mitzi Hesser again. She gets emotional thinking of that Easter Sunday, but it's easy to understand why. She's seen people she hasn't spoken with since before the tornado three years earlier. And remember, she was the public health nurse, so she cared for these people on several different levels. And that sense of the Lord had been good to us. When we say that in church, oh, the Lord's been good to us. You know, <laughs> that level of that the Lord has been good to us and it blessed us. Um, for those of us, you know, we've, you know, now we have more and more people that never experienced that. You know, they weren't around at the time of the tornado or they were still young or, and so when we say, you know, that the Lord was good to us and we have this building and, you know, it was all paid for and we, you know, that sense only comes with those of us who walked in that day. So the Fellowship Hall, of course, is more of um, an operations uh, side of things. And so we had just, you know, you, you had just some little chairs set up in there and there was a kitchen and things like that. And it was a building and it felt like home. That's Paige Tyree again. She served on the building committee throughout the process of rebuilding Greensburg United Methodist Church. But when you compare worshiping in a room like that versus walking into a fellowship, I mean, into a sanctuary, um, it's, it's a whole, it takes things to just another level. Um, it's a grander kind of feeling to worship in a sanctuary um, than it is in a fellowship hall. Um, I, I know that when, when we first walked in on Sunday morning and saw the sanctuary full of people, because I had been able to see the sanctuary and I knew what it looked like as a, as a room and I knew, you know, uh, what the, the colors were and what the pews looked like, but just to see it full of people and full of the life again, that um, I, I know that, of course, that's God's intention for a sanctuary, but just to see that um, is it, such a heartfelt moment uh, to open those doors and have all of us proceed in and, and singing and the sounds of, of everyone's voices, it, the excitement. There was a lot of excitement among the people wanting to get in and see for the first time. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a very blessed Sunday morning. The church, like the town of Greensburg, was reborn. It could have been wiped off the map, but it's still there 12 years later. When you drive through town now on U.S. Highway 400, especially if you take time to turn off the highway, you may notice a random vacant lot here or there. Those are places where property owners have decided not to rebuild, for whatever reason. Otherwise, you see new construction everywhere. It's pristine, almost unreal when you consider what most towns look like. So far, there have really been only two major drawbacks after that tornado of 2007. First, the population has fallen from about 1,500 people before the tornado to just about 1,000 after it. Some people, especially older residents, left to live with family elsewhere. The thought of reconstruction was just too overwhelming for some people. Paige Tyree explains the second challenge. For families to move into Greensburg and rent a, a home, rent is expensive because the homes are new and so the homeowners have to be able to make a house payment on that house. And so that, that always kind of sets people back when they're trying to move to town. They're like, man, rent is so expensive in your town. Well, yes, but you have to consider the house is only 12 years old. It's not 
25 or 30 years old like you might get in another small community. Mayu, who served in Greensburg from 2007 to 2018, said finding rental housing has been particularly difficult for low-income workers. You can't build a new house and rent it for $300 a month like they could before. So it was it's hard for people working at Quick Shop and some of those kind of jobs to maintain. So they had to drive, some of them drove in to work, which there was a balance trying to, the, the community need businesses, but the businesses need employees and it's kind of a which comes first, the chicken or the egg type thing. Despite the challenges of higher housing costs, the people of Greensburg provide a model for coping with such a devastating disaster. The town is rebuilt, and the people rebuilt in a smart way. Greensburg has the most LEED certified buildings per capita in the world. That means the construction used to rebuild the town makes this little town in Kansas the most energy efficient and environmentally friendly community, perhaps in the entire world. Mayu said the rebuilding was, at times, overwhelming, but he is proud to have served Greensburg as part of his time in ministry. I, w I was at Greensburg 11 years. Very good appointment, very good church, very good people to be with and uh, to walk that journey with. I, I never doubted my call to go there. I, I know it was God uh, put me there because I had experience with some disaster, not as that extent. Uh, I love doing that kind of stuff. I, I never doubted that I was supposed to be there. I, I just, I was glad to, I mean, I was glad to be there. I, some people would say, you went there? I said, yeah, and I loved every minute of it. I'd like to thank the Reverend Terry Mayhew, Mitzi Hesser, and Paige Tyree, as well as Reverend Holly Tapley, for helping tell the story about Greensburg, Kansas. It's a great story, one of resilience and resurrection. And it's a great story about people witnessing for Christ through their teamwork and spirit to rebuild a church and a town. Music for this podcast was provided via a license with FirstCom Music. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. You can find archived podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or on the Great Plains Conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life. <laughs>